The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Rothkopf. It's that time of the week when we talk about What's going on inside the intelligence community? We call it the DSR Spy Show. And to lend some credibility to that, my co-host is former uh, CIA top guy, Mark Polymeropoulos. How are you doing today, Mark? David, I'm doing well. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, As I always start this off by kind of detailing some of my current exploits, I'm off to University of Virginia right after this to give a lecture on, uh, on, on the intelligence community, on terrorism at one of their classes. But there's a point to this. I'm going to go to Bodo's Bagels in Charlottesville, which is one of the great, great bagel places. Uh, and uh, I will be there, I would I say, about one o'clock enjoying my bagel. So think of me then. I will think of you. You know, I went to Ann Arbor because my wife's family is from there. And of course, one of the great delis in America, Zingerman's Deli, is there. Uh, and so we got a ton of deli stuff, including bagels. And transported it across the United ah, States, nine hours in the car, <laughs> back to our home. And I have to tell you, the car did not smell great, but the dog seemed real happy. <laughs> um, I've, I've I've been to that Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. I've been I, I lived in Detroit for um, for two years, working for my old alma mater, shall we say? And um, yeah, Zingerman's was famous back in the you know, back in the day and love myself a bagel. Yeah, no, no, it is as, it is as good as it gets. That uh, voice that you just heard is our guest, our special guest today. Daryl Blocker is a former American intelligence officer who served for 28 years with the Central Intelligence Agency. He held many prominent positions, including Deputy Director of the Counterterrorism Center, uh, Chief of the Africa Division, and Chief of Training for the Directorate of Operations. Uh, He's got a few other little uh, assorted uh, twists and turns in his background that I'm sure Mark will get to. But why don't you start off with the first question? Keep it serious for at least five minutes into the podcast. I will try. I will try. Well, first of all, Daryl, thank you for for joining us. Um, it's it, we are delighted to have you. You know, one of the great things you know, I worked with Daryl uh, uh, during our time together. He is uh, was not only an outstanding uh, uh, intelligence officer; he's also a very good person. 
And David, I think we've had guests on, we talk about some of the kind of the, the type A sociopathic narcissists at times <laughs> who, uh, who I- I inhabit our, my old organization. Daryl is a, is a genuinely wonderful human being. So delighted to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for being I here. Dude, that, that introduction does me, does me great favor and I appreciate it as well. My mom. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, so let's, you know, one of the things we do on the show is, you know, we're going to jump into current events and, and obviously what's happening in Gaza with the Israel Hamas war um, is, is front on our plate. Now you have a kind of, I think you'll have some unique perspectives. You are the deputy uh, chief of CIA's counterterrorism center, which many people don't understand, but actually is not just CIA. It's the U.S. government's nerve center uh, in, in the counterterrorism fight. It was, it was an immense job. Um, and so why don't you kind of jump in, give us your thoughts uh, on, uh, on on what is occurring there. There's so much to really cover on this in terms of, you know, was Hamas a priority for us? Um, how about, you know, the, the Israeli intelligence failure? Can can actually uh, Israel be successful in, in, quoting, eradicating, you know, Hamas? And, and you, know, you know, what's next as this pause uh, in fighting seems to perhaps come to an end or, or maybe it'll be extended with some more hostage releases? But Give us kind of your 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 couple of minutes on on what you think's happening um, uh, in uh, in Gaza. Thanks, Mark. I think I'll start with the eradication part of it because everybody talks about winning this war and defeating Hamas and 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 all of this. And Hamas is more than just the physical beings and the material and and the um, and the other aspects of any you know of any organization. They're they're philosophy now. So. If you can talk about eliminating the top leaders, you can talk about eliminating those responsible for 7 October. You can talk about a whole bunch of other of, of other things, but eradicating Hamas is not going to be as simple as just, you know, they can't kill their way out of this out of this war. What they can do is put Hamas in the position that Arafat had to do after decades and decades of running from the Israelis and recognizing that if we're going to have a two-state solution, we're going to have to talk to someone. Um, I was at King Hassan's funeral. King Hassan of Morocco died in the summer of, of 99. I just happened to be um, in uh, living in Morocco at the time. And Yasser Arafat, Ehud Barak, who was the Israeli prime minister at the time, and, and uh, President Clinton we're all in the, you know, in the in the in the king's palace, you know, um, sending their condolences. But I could tell from the crowd around President Clinton that they wanted to get a snapshot. They wanted to get a picture of these three leaders to help push this, you know, help push this um, this process along. Anyway, so the very first picture of Ehud Barak and, and Arafat meeting. Was on the was on the picture of uh, on the front page of Newsweek that very week. So I bring up all of this because Hamas was a part of the PLO that broke off because they thought you know Arafat was becoming too soft by removing the language about pushing the Jews in the sea and you know eradicating uh, all Jews from the world. That language is just not going to be able to exist. If Hamas is going to remain as the people's chosen chosen party, um, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that the votes of 2006, 2007, that you know, put Hamas in power, 
would be the same vote that they would get today. Um, even right-minded Palestinians recognize that 7 October was a huge mistake. I don't think Hamas had an end goal other than trying to get that punch in, you know, that golden BB, something that's going to, you know, splash, uh, uh, you know, hit the headlines around the world. And they've done that. But now they're in a position where they have to negotiate um, for their lives, for the hostages that they have. Israel has proven time and again, I think it was in 2011, they traded more than a thousand people for one, for the return of one Israeli soldier. So they're not beyond uh, giving up as many people as they need to do to retrieve to retrieve hostages. So can they eradicate Hamas mm, as a people? Yes, but now they're going to be pulling more people to their cause. So there's a, a fine balance between that. Um, in terms of intelligence failure, I think we mentioned, I think that was part of a, part of your question mark. This was a all of government failure. So you you alluded to the fact that I I was a intelligence officer in the in the in the Air Force as an analyst, mostly Soviet weapons and tactics and that type of thing. Because I came in in the eighties, um, kind of brought me back to back to the roots when Putin rolled across the border in the Ukraine. I started. Uh, tapping back into my my CT roots, which go back to Somalia, all the way up until I walked out the door in 2018. Um, terrorists are always going to be out there, and terrorists are always going to be a threat. But Hamas never projected outside of the territories, so they were never really seen as a threat to the United States or to our our allies outside of outside of Israel. It was more of an internal. Uh, internal problem. I don't think they weren't taken seriously, but I also know that Hamas has never been the sole focus of the Israeli Defense Forces, and now they are. Before they had to compete against Hezbollah, they had to compete against the Islamic Republic of Iran, they had to compete against Syria, they had to compete against all these other factors that impact Israel, and now 100% of their focus is on eradicating and getting rid of this group of people whose intent from their own charter from 1987 forward has been to eliminate Israel as it exists today. So it's kind of, I think it was Indira Gandhi said, you can't shake, you can't shake a hand with a closed fist. So right now, IDF and Hamas leadership have had to un- you know, unball their fist just long enough to free as many of the women and children as they can. I think they're up in the they're pushing sixty. I think it was fifty-eight by the last count on the on the Israelis and the ties and the other people who have been released, and one hundred and fifteen to one hundred and twenty um, on the Palestinian side. So there's still enough people to continue um, having people released. I think the more people are talking, the less people are fighting and dying. So I'm always in favor of talking, no matter who they are. Kim Jong-un, Xi, uh, Putin, Hamas, you have to talk to them, whether directly or through intermediaries like we're doing uh, with Qatar. But um, at the end of the day, 
Israel is going to have to sit down and negotiate with the leadership of Hamas to either change their 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 charter about wanting to push people into you know just take out the worst elements of this. It's not going to change their hearts and minds, but it is going to trigger maybe the the possibility that a two state solution isn't thrown out the window. I think sometimes the the most virulent and and hard hard to move people out of positions are going to be the only ones that can actually negotiate the peace. Um, so you know, Ehud Barak was a was a former special forces guy who was involved in in hits against the PLO outside of outside of Israel. But guess what? Israel s- sat down with Arafat, you know, their primary target, and they worked through their differences. And the differences have been have been huge. I think Israel has been working with the Palestinian Authority since the mid 2000s. Um, and, you know, the shows like Fauda and other things like that kind of depict a little bit of the, the liaison relationship that exists between, you know, frenemies, um, so to speak. But the people of Palestine are going to have to choose whether they want their leadership to be people who are murderers or they want people who are former murderers who have become statesmen like Arafat had to do, like Hezbollah had to do, like the FMLN had to do in Latin America. There's a lot of examples of people who were once considered terrorist or outside the, you know, outside the norm that the government in the world had to talk to. Hamas might be one of those. Yeah. And by the way, many in the Israeli leadership also made that transition. Menachem Begin, absolutely, most most, most notably. Um, you don't get to a situation like we've got uh, currently between Israel and Gaza without many, many years of really bad leadership on both sides. Um, that many, many mistakes have been made, and I'm not talking about the the specifics of October 7th, which was a outrageous and indefensible terrorist act. And those terrorists need to be held to account. But you've talked a little bit in the past few minutes about a longer term solution. Um, and, you know, there's several steps till we get to a longer term solution. One is closing out this fighting phase. The next step is stabilizing the situation in Gaza and trying to find some sort of political interlocutor with whom the Israelis and international community can have a a discussion. And then, of course, the third phase is moving on to some kind of solution, uh, in my view, as as you suggested. A a two-state solution seems like the only way to do that. Uh, but let's go to the, the area of specialization that, that Mark started with and that you had so much experience with in terms of counterterrorism. Israel's approach is essentially scorched earth. Um, and as, as you referred to it, you know, they've talked about eradicating Hamas, which is not actually an achievable goal. Uh, you also made some mention to the fact that if you take this kind of scorched earth approach, uh, and that's my language, not yours, you you end up creating other terrorists. What's the right approach? What's the right approach for going after Hamas 
right now to be able to get to phase two and phase three? That's a really, really good question. Um, honestly, the strategy has to be the, you know, the, we, we, we had a boss in the terrorism and the counterterrorism center who would say that the, the stick is the absence of the carrot or the carrot is the carrot is the absence of the stick. I'm sorry. I got that backwards. So you, you gotta be tough, but you also gotta be willing to, um, you know, to negotiate. And when the person on the other side of the negotiating table, if their intent is to destroy you and eradicate you and kill you and call you vermin or whatever it is to, you know, to, to, to demean and belittle you, it's not helpful. Um, the, I think Hamas recognizes right now that they've now moved up to the center of the bullseye that they don't really have a plan that their their benefactors in the in the in the government of Qatar is also the fact that the largest US installation outside the United States I believe is in Doha um, they've been our partners for a long time they were our partners in the and the um, on the on the Afghan front um, I believe they elected to be in this position as a way of allowing the West an intermediary, uh, intermediary to speak to. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I've been gleaning from listening to the coverage coming out of uh, out of both areas, Israel, Qatar, and, and the United States. Uh, so, yes, they have to stop the military actions. Yes, they have to build back trust up with those Palestinians who rightfully and understandably were afraid of leaving their homesteads because that's why Israel's in the position that it's in now because they feel like their lands were taken from them. So when they're told to move south, it's more than just trying to get out of the way of, of bombs and, and weapons. It's, oh my God, if I leave this land, I might not might might not ever be able to return. So there's a you know there's the historical um, aspect of this. There's the the immediate threat of you know weapons um, Israel is still being fired upon. You know, the Iron Dome is, is working. Both sides are going to have to stop shooting each other. Both sides are going to have to continue to, um, whoever's doing the negotiating for release of the, of the prisoners that they're worth their weight in gold because they absolutely hate each other and they came to agreement and lives are being saved and rights are being or wrongs are being righted. So I say as long as people are are negotiating and talking, they're not shooting typically. Um, or their benefactors are saying, don't, you know, don't don't make it worse, you know, uh, the whole first do no harm kind of uh, approach to approach to life. I think that's a long way of not answering I'm not sure I answered your question, David, but um um Yes, they have to stop shooting. Yes, they're going to have to find um, uh, intermediary, which I think they have in Qatar. I think they have it in the Egyptians as well, because the Egyptians have a very, big, very big piece of this. They've had a detente with Israel since, you know, Menachem Begin and and uh, and Sadat, you know, signed it in the in the late seventies, and they didn't 
it's, it's not always a, a, a beautiful, harmonious, um, you know, relationship, but it is a relationship. The Abraham Accords don't seem to have completely fallen apart. Um, there are other positive signs that, uh, you know, the Houthis being involved in this are going to put the, the Saudis in a position where they can't, you know, support one side or the other too much. So they're, they're kind of staying out of the way, which I think is a good sign for, um, you know, for the West and, and, and hopefully the Palestinians as well. And I always make sure that when I'm speaking to people that they understand the difference between Hamas and, and the Palestinian cause because they're completely different. Um, it would be like coming to the United States and expecting everybody to support 100% one party over the other. And it just is not our history. It's always been two or three parties. It's always been split. I think Reagan, who may have been in my lifetime, one of the most popular, only had 54% of the electorate, which by today's standards is, is by any standards, um, is is going to win you win you office, but that was blowing somebody away with only 54, 55% of the, um, you know, the electorate. So Hamas does not have wide, deep um, trust amongst its people. And now they're going to see that a lot of the money that came to Hamas was used for means other than which they were intended, like building tunnels and buying weapons and doing some things. And the people of I would love to see the people of Palestine vote for who they want to to represent them. And if they go with Hamas again, that's a whole different story. But that's a lot of strategy and a lot of discussions and a lot of back and forth and things that could happen between now and you know coming to a resolution on this. And I do believe that there is a resolution to the two state um, two state solution. They thought it back in the 1940s and. I, there have been dozens of attempts. They've gotten very, very close. Um, but people don't change easily. People's hearts certainly don't change easily. And the actions or the, the actions of 7 October and the response to that, to that attack is going to have probably the same impact that uh, our embassy bombings in Dar and Nairobi or our embassy bombing in Beirut or the takeover of the U.S. embassy in Tehran. It's going to be that huge in terms of uh, of how the, the Middle East is going to go over the next decade, I think. Um, uh, in, interesting, interesting point. I, I agree, by the way, with the two-state solution that uh, it's a little bit like Churchill said of American democracy, you know, it's the worst of all the options, except for all the others. Um, and and uh, I do also think that, uh, as the Israelis have been have been good to do in the past couple of days, uh, among those negotiators who are playing an unsung role in this, the Biden administration has played a big role in moving these negotiations forward, and they deserve more credit. Uh, now, having said that. Uh, it's that point in our show in which we say to everybody out there who is not a member, you should be a member. You know, if you're a member, uh, you could listen to the rest of this podcast. You could listen to all of our other bonus content, as thousands and thousands of others do. It's easy to do. You go to the DSR network, you click on membership, 
Uh, it's five bucks a month. It's not a lot, but it helps us do what we do. And uh, this uh, uh, is is really important to us. So I would hope you would consider doing it. Uh, but for now, if you're not a member, we're going to have to say goodbye. And if you are a member, then we just say standby. <laughs>